Hey, we're back with another episode of the Sports Q. It is CG joined by Mike G once again as we get into some of our sports action. And we're going to dive into a completely different world where you are going to show your expertise, young man. You are going to explain uh, from start to finish everything that there is to know about soccer. This is a world that I don't know anything about. The reason why I'm calling it soccer, probably do you call it football or you do call it soccer? You know, it it depends who I'm talking to, what kind of crowd. A lot of people, most people I would say I, I would refer to it as soccer. But if the crowd that I'm speaking to is predominantly international people, I will make the distinction. I'll say American football if I'm talking about about that. But most of the time I call it soccer. How rude am I? I didn't even say hi to you. Mike, we didn't even say hi to our audience though. First. So what's going on, brother, man? How's it going? <laughs> I'm just happy to be back in the saddle. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, speaking of soccer, I mean, that was, you know, quite a performance last night uh, by Team USA. Uh, Trace Ados. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a historic moment for the U.S. to pull that off in that fashion. So, what, so let's talk about that. You were, you were getting me to, to, to tune in. I didn't catch the whole game. I was watching bits and pieces of it. Uh, I kept trying to find it on the channel that it was on. But So as a U.S. soccer fan, very minimal experience. But I, I almost feel like U.S.-wise, the women have been more popular than the men for a long time now. Uh, as far as notoriety, big wins, signature moments. Uh, would you agree with that? You know, I, I would uh, as a blanket statement, maybe in the last few years. I mean, the men's U.S. national team has been a terrible run ever since their their collapse for the 2018 World Cup. To go into Trinidad and Tobago and not get a result, as in a win or a draw, and that situation where you just needed one of those two events to clinch your spot was absolutely devastating for the program. I mean... Leading up to the, the events last night, the, the Nations League final, up until last night, the U.S. had not beaten Mexico in eight years in a competitive fixture. That was pretty surprising to me, but then I really thought about the problems that Jurgen Klinsmann had toward the end of his reign as the national team head coach and the beginning of the Greg Berhalter era and the uncertainties with the roster and certain players aging or becoming ineffective. The, the women have been more of a draw. I, I would say lately, uh, I would disagree with your statement there, but, but last night was, it was, it was something pretty special for a young group of talented U S players and the stars, they aligned and they performed. It, it was something to see. I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I'm sure it was interesting to watch as an outsider. I mean, what did you think? I mean, I watch so, a lot of matches. So from a sports standpoint, just watching sports, when a goal happens like that in the first minute, and it's fluky, right? I mean, that's, there's, it's just a, a an error that I think you what, – what was the word that you used? You said at the professional level it just can't happen or something like that. Yeah, there was something along that context. And True. so – when something like that happens, you you almost get into that, oh boy, here we go again, as far as men's soccer and feeling like you were disappointed in the U.S. men's team. But they are young. And I think the push for a long, long time was, look, we have so many quality, strong athletes in America. How do we not have or develop good young soccer players? And it seems like now we've reached the point where we are developing that talent, where we are putting the right teams together. And even when they got down, because I'll admit, I changed the channel. Like, I, I was like, all right, this is going to be 
you know, now they're just going to go back and forth and it's going to be one nothing for a while. And then I went back and then they scored on the set piece. They call it a set piece, right? I did. I did. I, I picked that up. Um, but when the when you do that, when you score like that, I felt like that shows that you've reached a different level. Now you've gotten the equalizer, which is an awesome name when you tie it up. But you get the equalizer on a set piece, which is an actual play, not something fluky. And it was a good match. The other thing is it went on really late. I mean, that game went on and on and on and on. How out of the normal is a game to go that length and take that long? And did it end the right way? Like, is that the correct way to end a match like that? Yes. I mean, typically you don't have all that extra time. It has to be some kind of trophy, some kind of title awarded to be in a situation where you're going to play the extra time and then only ultimately go to PKs, penalty kicks. You don't want to be a situation where the game goes on forever. So, you know, penalty kicks, we, we can debate if that's the right way to end it or not, but it has to end at some point. I mean, for me, at the USA versus Mexico and CONCACAF, I mean, that is the rivalry. It is becoming, as the U.S. becomes more of a soccer-playing nation, continues to put their top players in the top leagues in Europe and, and, and get the respect uh, worldwide outside of goalkeepers that U.S. players are legitimate, you know, forces to be reckoned with on the international stage, that Mexico rivalry is going to grow. I mean, Mexico, they, they, played, a, they played a good match. Uh, the United States made many errors, maybe even some tactical errors as playing with three center backs, Tim Ream out there, you know, look, just looked slow on the wing, especially when he was uh, facing Yanez, that 20 year old that looked like a young Messi, super explosive coming in. Uh, you know, you spoke to the athleticism that that should be a conduit for the United States to have better players. And you saw on the set pieces where, the guys are making their runs in the box and the aerial supremacy of the United States. It was proven many times. I mean, that Weston McKinney goal where he headed down the corner like that. I mean, that, that was beautiful. I mean, that was, that was, that was nice to watch. It was a uh, great to see the United States win a title game against Mexico, their biggest rival when they didn't even play that great. I mean, they made some errors, but they, you know, they showed some stones, some intestinal fortitude. And the way they attacked it and, and and the subs came in and they were effective and it was a good match to watch. I mean, yeah, that's really outside your typical. Um, if you're going to be watching some other matches this summer, which, you know, we got the European championships uh, coming up in a, well, coming up here on Friday. So, you know, lead, leading into that, Chris, that those matches, especially when you get in the group stage in the beginning, those are going to be. No extra time, no PKs, win, loss, or draw. So we'll talk about Euro 2021, but as far before we get into that, so where does the U.S. rank right now, your opinion, where, where are they? You know, they beat Mexico. You say this is a big step forward. What's the next step? How does this team develop? Where do they go? In your opinion, this is obviously not factual, but, uh, you know, what, what do you think? Is there something missing? Is there still something they need to improve upon? How do we get on the world stage? One thing to beat Mexico here in CONCACAF, it's another thing to go out there and, I don't know, conceivably get in what what, what would be a, a huge mark for the U.S. World Cup final kind of thing? Chris, I, I think first and foremost, you got to take care of business here in CONCACAF and assert your hegemony and become that 
that lead dog of the Confederation, Mexico, until yesterday, at eight years of complete dominance. And your last attempt at qualifying for a World Cup, you were not able to do so. That is totally unacceptable if you're the United States of America. So number one is become the solid power here, qualify for the cup. And, you know, with this young group as it goes on, I mean, 2022 is not too far off. I mean, if this team could somehow make it out of the group stage and maybe make it to the quarterfinals, that would be unbelievable. That would be awesome. That would be roughly 20 years since the cup since the cup in 2002 when the United States beat Mexico in the in the second round which is the biggest biggest win in the history of the United States men's program to date. I mean they've had some exciting wins, they've had some things, but to be able to beat your rival in that situation and get to play Germany in a quarterfinal especially with that young team and where the United States program was 20 years ago. I mean, that would be phenomenal if you could be back at that level effectively now with this group, with how young it is and how it's developing. But you said that it would be phenomenal if they could reach that level. So are they there? Are they good enough to be there? Your opinion, do they have what it takes? You know, you said that they showed you some of their intestinal fortitude and they've got some of the right players in place, but we're going to touch on the rest of the world because Europe is a different ball game, you know, no pun intended. I mean, they're, they're at a different level than probably North America is at a significantly higher level for a myriad of reasons, but are they there? Are they close? Are they right on the doorstep or are they a little further than everybody might think? Yeah. Not to get caught up in the moment, but they're a little further away. I mean, let's put it what it was. I mean, you allowed a goal in the first 63 seconds of the game last night. You looked very shaky in the back. Uh, leaky would probably be the word that uh, my English friends would use. Uh, and it's fair enough, but you found a way to get it done. So you're looking at your elite talents in the United States. You know, you got Christian Pulisic, who's, what is he, 21 or 22 years old. You got Weston McKinney. I, I think he's maybe 22 years old. Claudio Reina is 18 years old. The core of that team is very young, and they all delivered. And when you have that situation, I guess anything's possible. These players need to – the whole system needs to mature. I'm not saying specifically those players need to, but – and some of the tactical decisions were, like I said, a little bit strange. I think they went with ineffective defenders a little too long, but they found a way to get it done. And it's about winning it. Hey, they won a trophy. Let, 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 let's relish that moment. I mean, it, it's the biggest win in eight years for the United States, hands down. All right. And so before we get into talking about Euro 2021 and getting into uh, some of the picks and some of the odds that you saw jump out to you that you like. Uh, you talk about your international friends and their soccer and their passion. Uh, who would you say, and you're going to piss off some of your friends too, but who would you say is the uh, most annoying fan base out there? And then the most like diehard, they live for this. This is, this is, this is kind of life or death for them. Out there in the Euro. Well, I mean, the, the team that I really like is, is Belgium. Uh, well, Belgium, you no, know, but, but we'll talk, we'll talk about that, but I'm saying fan base. 
Like if they're listening right now, which fan base is just going to just go completely nuts for this whole deal because their expectations might be way too high and they're just going to go through a, just an absolute torrid time here in the next, uh, was it a few weeks of this tournament? Oh, I, I see what you're getting at. You're, you're trying to see who is going to lay the egg that has legitimate expectations of winning at all. You know, yeah, that, and, and, and their fan bases are just going to go nuts because I, I want you to first, I want you to start by uh, pissing off one of those fan bases out there first, and then we'll get into who we like and some of the selections and some of the value. But who's just going to throw a stinker? Who is the team out there that's just going to piss off their fans beyond belief? I think Germany, their fans are going to be very disappointed. I, I just don't have a good feeling with them in this group of death. And that's not a fan base I would really want to mess with. Uh, I mean, their team is obviously saturated with talent. They have a lot going on there. But you're in a group with France, and you're in a group with Portugal. That, 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 that's going to take its toll. And I, I don't see – you know, for Germany – their program has been so good for so long that their fans got used to it. I, they're, they're almost, in their mind, they're in the semifinals on every major competition. And if you look at the last 20 years, most of the time that's where they are. And that's where they expect to be, but it's not going to be this time. I don't see Germany having that good of a cup. I could totally be wrong. But that, to me, when I look at top group of favorites the, the 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 you know the heavyweights of the industry let's put it that way and the, the, there's there's going to be a little bit of fall off they've had a good run i just don't think they're as stacked as they typically are Okay, so Germany is going to be the fan base that's going to end up being pissed off because they're going to just uh land egg they're not going to have a good time in Euro 2021. Uh start talking about some of the teams you do like you just mentioned Belgium. Uh Belgium I guess again the the the, the what i know about Belgium I, they, they almost seem like they're like the sexy pick sometimes. You know, they're kind of that team that just has – they have a few star players. Lukaku was kind of their main guy for a long time, right? Is he still with them? Lukaku is, is still in play. I, I got a pick on him when we get further into this. Yeah, uh, but he, so he's like the stud that I remember for Belgium, fast, scores goals, exciting type of player. And so when I'm taking a look at Belgium – uh, they're always in the right group that they can kind of surprise a team. They can create an upset. Then all of a sudden they end up in the final spot. You like them to really even go farther than that. It seems like on top. So we're going to start at the top. This is, this is who you really like here. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if we're going to, if we're going to go right to the top of the tree right here, I, Belgium is my pick to win it. Uh, Belgium to me, the, the golden generation, accumulation of talent the accumulation of that whole system i mean the the the, the attacking quadri of players that they could throw at you they have more than anybody else and this is kind of their last chance as far as these players being at their peak being in sync you know lukaku is he he's a total beast i mean he he's the number 9 that they're going to be trying to feed the ball he, he's going to be their target guy. They got plenty of guys that can provide him the service he needs to score goals. Their group is, is not exactly daunting. I mean, let's just run through their group real fast. Denmark, Finland, Russia. Okay, that's group B. That's If you're looking at who's going to win that, 
I don't know, Belgium. That that's probably pretty solid. Okay, so you get them on top. Uh, what are they? What are they looking at right now? Five fifty. I I love them at five fifty. I love them at five fifty. That that to me is that's a pick you should be all over. It might even be going down. You, you talked about Lukaku earlier. If he could still play, there's some value at him at plus seven hundred. Uh, Golden Boot. You know, you're looking at Harry Kane from England. He he's plus one fifty five. He he's the favorite. Makes a lot of sense. I'll go into England later. But from a Golden Boot perspective, you're looking at. Kevin De Bruyne, he's out with injury for at least a couple games. We don't know really what his effectiveness is. He's a total wild card. If he comes back and is anything what he normally is, it's a difference maker. I, I like him at plus 800 as the assist leader of the tournament. You get Lukaku at plus 700 for the golden boot. You got Belgium at plus 550. That's going to get you a trip to Belgium if you put 100 bucks on it. Well, do you think that you're getting enough value, though, in something like that at a plus 800? Because you feel like it should be lower then. If you, if you think that a plus 800 on assists for De Bruyne is, is fair value, it almost seems like you got to look for somebody that's even a bigger shot than that. This depends on because it's it's kind of a, it's it's a prop bet. So are you going to throw a hundred bucks on a prop bet like that? Oh no, I'm not saying to be that aggressive on it. Um, right. With, with this with this Belgian experience, I mean, he you put fifty bucks on this, you're, you're going to be very happy. I, I would do it. Uh, I believe that this is Belgium's chance, and uh, this is where they they can cement it and. The tournament that you're more likely to see some strange thing happen is the Euro. We've had some suspect champions over the years. I mean, they, they thought, what, 1992 when Denmark won, that was a little bit fluky. One that's a lot more closer was the 2004 Greek run where it seemed like they won every game 1-0. Uh, well, they why they is two shots a game. Well, well they, they, they were utilizing a park-the-bus kind of strategy that's a little – little more difficult to get away with now there's more talent i think in the world there's more attacking talent and and trying to play the eight nine guys in the box area just clogging it up that's not as effective but greece did it masterfully in 2004 and won a euro ever since then no one has been able to quite replicate that the same way but you know that that's due to it. There's, it's an expanded tournament now. More teams advancing, so it, 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 I would say now is a different era. But you know that that being said, Belgium and Portugal is my final game. I, I, I think Portugal is loaded. I, I think, I mean, Bruno Fernandez is an absolute stud. I mean, they got Cristiano Ronaldo. We could go on and on about him. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about him later on here, but it seems like Portuguese players have infiltrated every, every EPL team. That's of note. I've watched a lot of EPL and, and, and they're not just on the roster. They're flourishing and they're excellent players. I mean, coming out of the group of death, you never know that's, I I wouldn't uh, add that to the parlay of Belgium, but that, 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 that's my final in the Euro. Okay, so then you like both of those teams to come out of their groups. Are they your best bets to come out of the group, or do you feel really strongly about one of these other groups and a team that you see coming out 
Uh, you talk about Group E a little bit. That one seems to hold appeal because it seems like that one might be a little bit more wide open. Or are those teams really evenly matched? Group E is where you can find some value. I mean, let, let, let's name who's in that group. We got Poland, Slovakia, Spain, Sweden. Okay, that, just, on a- hearing that, just on hearing that, I feel like Slovakia is out. Am I correct in that? Is that, a, is that a poor assumption or is that? You are in line with the odds makers. They have the worst <laughs> odds and it's not anywhere close. Okay. I but mean, you, you can guess who the favorite is. Who, who do you think the favorite is in that group? You said Poland, Sweden, Spain, Slovakia. Yep. It's got to be Spain. I mean, come on. Absolutely. As they should be. Brand. Brand. Spain is one of the tournament favorites. Spain is. I mean, they've won a World Cup. They, they, they won in 2010. I mean, they, they have the pedigree. They're pretty solid. But I don't see the value in, in picking Spain to win the group. I haven't even looked at those odds. Let's put it that way. I see a lot more valuable if you pivot one, one of two ways. You look at Poland at plus 700 with Robert Lewandowski and, and the rest of the supporting cast that they have, which is lacking in quality compared to him. And... You look at Sweden at plus 650 with Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming back in the fold on the national team. Any of those two could possibly win the group. I I think Spain obviously is going to advance no matter what. Them having an, an older veteran roster that has been there and done it, they might be okay with second place and maybe Sweden or Poland are more hungry and you can find some value at that price point. I, I, you know, I'm trying to think you could maybe put a decent parlay with them and some other surprise group winners. Okay. And then you talk about some of these other groups that we're going to touch on. I think a held some appeal group C between those two, you know, group a, I, again, not watching a lot of soccer following. It just seems like in these big tournaments, Italy always figures out a way to make things happen in these tournaments, whether it's the way that they play, their style, whether they just completely play defense and they lock things down a lot better, whether they figure it out. Doesn't it? Am I wrong again in that assumption? Italy just seems to always put the pieces together and get the job done no matter what. They do. I mean, the Azuri are, are masterful on defense. They're, 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 they're typically a cohesive unit that is difficult to break down. Picking them as the solid winner here, that, that's taking the layup or taking the dunk. Uh, but I see a lot more value at Switzerland at plus 475. I think in the scenario we talk about, once again, Italy is automatic to advance. They're... There's almost no way that they do not finish in the top three somehow in this group. Now, that's not going to happen. But, you know, Switzerland, they, they beat the U.S. in, in the warm-up buildup. Yeah, they're a scrappy team. They have a scrappy outfit. They have some talent. They could easily pull this off. This, this one is, if they can get a result against Italy, they can beat Turkey. They can beat Wales. That's a fact. So I, I like that situation just to put a little spin on, on Group A. Group C, you've got uh, a young team that you're taking. Again, some value in an upset. Same thing. Uh, I mean, looking at that group, I'm going to go through the group, Chris. Austria, Netherlands, North Macedonia, 
Ukraine. I'm looking at one team there that really, really stands out as as the favorite. The Dutch, yeah, the New Netherlands, got to be right. Absolutely, but the Dutch, when, when they get in these tournaments, sometimes they start quarreling when they get into camp, and they don't live up to expectations, and it's unfortunate because the the amount of talent that has gone through the Netherlands is, is astounding, and Memphis Depay is made himself come back as he, he he's one of the top players that's that's another guy i'd be looking at possibly on golden boot uh if you want to bring in value over there but well, who i really like is it's kind of similar to that methodology with, with switzerland that i was talking about ukraine group c at plus 575 to win the group they're young they're scrappy they they've been adding more and more more and more talent to their regime you're, you're starting to see their players you know I, out the EPL, it, it, you start to see them out to other parts of Europe, and yeah, I, I like that value there. I think if you if you stack Ukraine, you can stack yourself Ukraine, Switzerland, and Sweden. If they all win the group, that, that's that's gonna be a nice haul. All right, and then uh, this is the one. This is what I thought you were going to kind of hint at. Uh, I think everybody out there probably has a friend that's a, a fan of of England uh, and soccer, where they're going to end up. Uh, they always seem like they've got high expectations, maybe higher than they possibly should be. I don't know if that's a fair generalization about their fans and their fan base and their team. Do they have a legitimate shot? Is their team going in the right direction? Or are they... Uh, are they dreaming? Is this a dream for them? Do they have their head in the clouds a little bit, thinking they actually have a shot to take take something like this down? England absolutely has a chance to win it all. I can see it happening. I, I don't think that's going to happen. When I went through the bracket, I had England in my final four, but I had them losing to Portugal. Does that happen? We'll see. But I mean, I'm looking at this group. You got the aging Croatia with Luka Modric and, and all the guys that ha- helped them make the run in the 2018 Cup. It, it's just not there anymore. They, they've aged out. The golden generation, the, the, they've been killed. The golden goose, it's over. Uh, you, you got Czech Republic, you know, a young team. Don't know that much about them, but. Hey, they're they're here. They got through the playoff system, I think. Or no, that was Scotland. But I mean, the bottom line is that they're going to dominate this. Uh, and Harry Kane is in ridiculous form. He he's at minus one fifty five to win the Golden Boot. I think he was second in the EPL and assist this year as well. I'm going off the top of my head. Um, he had a phenomenal season. He is in impeccable form. He is completely dominating. I mean, he's going to leave Tottenham and, and the, you know, they, they need to thank their lucky stars that he was even a member of their franchise. I mean, he's been excellent, but, but England, I mean, if, if, if they got to a final against Belgium and beat, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, I would like to see it. I, that's the team where I feel like I know the most players on that for, from watching, you know, catching matches on the EPL and, and playing some daily fantasy. Uh, you look at that roster up and down, especially the guys are going to be starting. I mean, they're oozing talent right now, and and a lot of it's young talent. So nothing would surprise me with them. I guess that's the point, Chris. So you ended. You you mentioned something earlier, and I'm not sure I fully grasp it. But you talked about Lukaku and, and top pick. 
he's going to be the number nine. Uh, and uh, is that a reference? Is that a number? Is that an actual number? Like when you talk about nine. Yeah, I mean, every position on the pitch has a designated number. The number nine is your classic forward, tip of the spear guy. He's the guy that you want taking the pressure shots in the box. Your gold-plated scoring opportunities, especially the ones that are created throughout the buildup, throughout the field of play, that's the guy you want ultimately taking the shot in most cases. He should be leading your team in shots on target and goals. That's when you design your team, and if you're employing a classic number nine strategy, then that's that's the guy you're going to. Okay, so then it's it's the best player. He's literally wearing the number nine. Not always. Um, a lot of number nines will wear the number nine, but. Guys can wear whatever number they want. He's not going to be wearing a number one. He's not going to be wearing a goalie number. Uh, <laughs> but he might be wearing a number 10, but he's really a number nine. It's It can be confusing, but you'll learn. You'll learn. There's okay. hope. So the number nine, top player, best player out there. If we're making a football reference, it's the quarterback. Quarterbacks are always going to have their typical numbers. or what. Actually, it's more of a probably a baseball reference, right? And the and the the way the positions are numbered and whatnot, and the pitcher being the one, and the, you know, and and the whole thing. The the nine. I, if you want to equate it to baseball, your number nine is your cleanup hitter. This is the guy when the bases okay. are loaded. You want him to deliver, and you want that. You want that. You know, to use soccer term, four nil or four zero up on the board right off the bat. You want he's your finisher. Okay, so let's go through some of these top players then. So let's go some of the, through some of these top nines in I don't know what the last 10 20 years. I, I mean it's it's 2021. This has obviously been around for a while. Um, I, we've seen a lot of great players. You've seen a lot of great players probably grown up with these guys as well. Uh, there's got to be certain guys that are at the top of the list, and and you talked about one already. Uh, so do we t- start at the top, or, or or just kind of who's in the mix uh, for being the best? Let, let let's start. Let's take a look at the the number nine position from let's just do 2000. You know that's roughly 21 years. It's kind of easy to easy math to cut it off. All right, new century, new deal. When we go through this list, we're not going to count Cristiano Ronaldo as a number nine. I know he plays that now, but most of his career, he's a devastating winger that could do it all. We're going to leave him off this list because you could easily say, well, you know, he's playing a number nine position now. He's quite amazing. He's been doing it for a few years now that he's up there in age. So let's take that out of play. You know, for me, the argument really boils down to the top two, there's several deserving, but there's two that really strike me as, as the, the prolific number nines. And for me, I, if you're going to put me on the spot, I might be a little bit biased, but I'm going to go, you know, my number one is Robert Lewandowski. I mean, to me, I think it's unquestionably he's the most prolific finisher of the past decade, and it's not even close. I mean, when he had the four-goal performance against Real Madrid in that 2013 first-leg semifinal, he put himself on a different trajectory. 
really had that memorable match. He was playing for Borussia Dortmund then, you know, German club that is not exactly, you know, ripping it to the Champions League semifinals every year. And he absolutely crushed it. Uh, I mean, when you look at his attributes, make him what he is. I mean, he's got top class technique, power, pace, efficient score. If he gets a shot in the box, most likely it's hit in the back of the net. Unlikely to be saved. You look at his scoring record. Okay, he played 28 Bundesliga matches this year. He scored 41 goals, which is the Bundesliga scoring record. That's pretty dang amazing. Uh, Internationally, he's Poland's all-time leading scorer, heading to be the all-time capped player. Uh, His international supporting cast is not quite as, you know, robust as some of the other players that I'm going to name here on this list. But the bottom line is he could have won the Ballon d'Or last year if they would have given it out, which is the top player in world football. And he's going to win it this year, and it should be two in a row. And when you consider that this is the Ronaldo-Messi era, it's quite impressive that this guy theoretically could have two. Uh, you know, big fan of Robert Lewandowski. So you're a homer pick on that one, but I mean, is this is this something that's generally felt, or is this strictly your opinion on it? Because I, no, he's not a household name. Maybe he is in the soccer world. Maybe he is in the soccer world, but in the in the. <laughs> And I guess that's not a fair comparison when you're talking about, you know, who's who's crossed over basically into where the general public knows who everyone knows who Ronaldo is, everybody knows who Messi is. Do they know who Lewandowski is? They do now. They I do think now. at this point, when you the success he's had at Bayern Munich. The only thing that's lacking in his resume, if I'm gonna attack my own argument, is his international team success and scoring record nowhere approaches club. There hasn't been any World Cup memories. I think that's the biggest hole in his game. And as we transition to my number two, that's somebody, and I'm talking about Ronaldo, the, the Ronaldo that played for Brazil. And that guy came on the scene. It, it little predates our our time clock of 2000, but he played to 2011. So I figure it's fair game, but this guy came on the scene as a 16 year old for world cup qualifying for Brazil. He was starting in a world cup final for Brazil as the number nine on a team that won it all in a memorable final where Roberto Baggio skied it over the crossbar. He was the starting number nine for Brazil as a 17 year old. I mean, the, the guy was, an absolute machine. I mean, when you look at the clubs he played for down the line, I mean, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Real Madrid, the guy scored in his career over 400 goals and 600 matches. I mean, that that's, that that's a substantial body of work. That's hitting the nail on the head right there. I mean, the, the, the guy revolutionized the position when he was young as just a lightning pacey, you know, superior strength and height prototypical the guy could just do a lot more than just you know banging the goals in the back of the net he's definitely in that discussion i mean for me he he could have possibly been the best player of all time i mean one of the quotes i read when i was thinking about this was if it wasn't for bad luck with injuries and and that party boy lifestyle i mean he was a known guy in the clubs 
in Brazil and, and in parts of Europe that you might be talking about him as the best player of all time, that he's not even the best Ronaldo, but he's in this discussion as a top, top tier talent. You know, as we move along to my third, that is more of a situation where this player has accomplished great things on the international level, record-breaking things in the World Cup where things are the tightest and most difficult. But his club career, though amazing and in, in, in high scoring, I mean, averaging for the most of that career over 20-something goals, doesn't doesn't equate to the other two, and that's Miroslav Klose, the former German international, and, and and played for played for Lazio, played for Bayern Munich. Oh, Werder Bremen. You had to reach deep for that one. Didn't know that. I one. had to think for a second. Uh, <laughs> I, I had to think for a second. I looked at it. That was that that was going down the rabbit hole, <laughs> but I found it. Werder Bremen, he was he was a stud. I mean, I, I think that's when he was scoring like 26, 27 goals a year. So and anytime you're at that level, you're right. So he rounds out your top three. Uh, he's obviously a standout player for you. Uh, who are the also rands in there? I mean, are there guys that we are we are not thinking of that just are a notch below these top three guys? I mean, guys that I like, I mean, one one I touched on earlier when talking about Sweden is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I mean, he's less of your, quote, classic number nine because he can be the number 10 and he can play the link up with the number nine, but he can do it all. I mean, the guy, the guy's phenomenal. He's huge. He can rip circus shots from distance i mean he was so good in the mls he's basically like yeah this league's a joke it's time for me to take my wares back to europe and another player i think that does not get enough credits because there was a time where he was in some kind of dispute with the former coach of the french national team and wasn't playing internationally but was crushing it for real madrid and is still a phenomenal player that's kareem benzema i don't think he gets enough credit for what he does uh Awesome player on the club level, super solid. I mean, when that guy's in front of net and it's a it's a header on a set piece, do you want to get in his way? No. I mean, and the guy could pretty devastating physicality. I mean, it's a good list, and it's all players that I've heard about uh, being a newer. I shouldn't even say newer fan. I think you're going to get me more into this. I think I'm going to probably watch a bit more. What's the ideal scenario? Where do you watch it? You sit down in a pub and have a have a pint and. Just sit down and order some wings and watch the games. And how, is that has that how you roll? Is that what we do? That's what I want to do. Unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately, the family life has caught up to me to a point where I don't get to go out and do that as much. But most of the time, I'll end up watching at the house. But I, I think it's going to be kind of stacked this round where the games are kind of from eight a.m. to two to four. So. Man, I could get out to the pub and get some wings and definitely take down a couple pints for a lunch match or a later one on 8 a.m. That, that's the motivation, but 
te- teams, at least early on, that I'm wanting to see. I, I think they're in the later time slots. I think I might be a little bit lucky. Yeah, I think you might. I think that's one of the. And when you start getting into finals and some of these bigger matches, I think it's just you want to be in that environment. You got to you got to have a little bit of fun and watch these games. And, and you know, you throw a, little, a couple couple shekels, some coins on uh, some plus three hundreds or some plus four fifties, and uh, try and make a little score. So we'll see what happens in there. It's all coming up. Uh, how long does it last? How long does this whole tournament go? I think the first game is... Well, the first game says Friday. Friday. It's roughly two weeks. Goes into July? Yeah, the first part of July. Let me see what... That's a good question. When is Yeah, no, it says the final is July 11th. Okay, yeah. I mean, because since you got 24 teams, so you got 24 teams, you got 16... And then that basically advances as a elimination tournament. So yeah, July 11th. I mean, w- one thing that's different with the tournament this year, Chris, is there's no host nation. A bunch of random cities that appear to be hosting the game. So the home field advantage is, is non-existent. And it's going to be a little different. All right, well, check it out. I'll be watching. I'll watch a few games and we're going to follow your picks. You're going to keep track of it, obviously. And the listeners out there, you can Always subscribe, get involved with the sports queue, and just let us know if uh, you're following along. Maybe you like those picks. Maybe you uh, end up with a nice score and break some of these numbers home. But let's take a quick pivot. We're going to go ahead and recap a little bit what's going on because it hasn't been very quiet, to say the least, in some of the other sports around. Covered a lot of soccer on this episode, uh, American football, if you'd like it that way. Uh, But you were correct, my man. Sound the alarms. Ring the bells. Uh, The Lakers go down. Uh, and, And you took this pick. You liked it. Um, so celebrate a little bit. Phoenix Suns, you, you had that one that one pegged. Yeah, well, you know, Chris Paul didn't destroy his hamstring and have some untimely injury. So you, you get him in the backcourt, Devin Booker. You got Aton looking like the young Dwight Howard. It, they, they are a threat to making the finals. I picked them making the finals. I, I'm going to stick with it. I have no reason to abandon them now. Uh, you know, I reserve the right to amend if... If we have some kind of injury with Chris, but I, I think he's good. I think he's locked in. And he sees what he has. He's got to be motivated. We also were liking the Bucks and talking about them and Giannis. Uh, they seem like they're running into a buzzsaw right now. This is without James Harden. Uh, we're bringing you this episode as game two is underway. Uh, it looks like Brooklyn's going to win that one, too. Um, this this could be some warning signals here for Giannis and the Bucks. Look, are the Nets going to be able to keep this this deal together very long? Who knows? You know, with all those personalities, all that talent, there's only one basketball. So we talked about that on a previous episode. Uh, we were right about Giannis; he is stepping up, uh, but they're they're in deep right now, and it doesn't look like that they have enough. No, uh, it's it's a little alarming. I, I mean, we both thought that he was going to become the the MVP that he's been and just start jamming on people and, and, and carry them the rest of the way. The supporting cast is pretty good. They got experience. It doesn't make a lot of sense because I, I thought, okay, Hey, James Harden goes down. It's pretty demoralizing. I mean, yeah, he was hurt a lot of the season, but he came back at the end. He declared himself you know, ready to go. And he hasn't, I mean, he's had a history of the playoffs of, Totally ineffective play, sometimes at times brain-dead play that we've seen in Houston. Lack of hustle on defense, lack of effort and positioning on defense. But, you know, that that hamstring injury, I mean, what? If they make the finals, he could maybe come back? I mean, hamstrings, 
they take like a month to heal no matter what. I mean, you're, you're not going to, quote, pull your hamstring and then two weeks later be playing NBA playoff basketball. I mean, it, it, it it's going to put a damper on the whole thing, but I don't know. I, I mean, I picked the Nets to win it all, so do I abandon them now? I mean, I don't know. Daryl Morey maybe cursed them. It looks, like they're gonna, it looks like they're going to dominate the East as they are already doing. Um, their offensive output is just unreal. I mean, they, they, they are just scoring at a rapid, rapid pace. And even if they play some defense, if they, if they play a few letters in the word defense, uh, they win. And uh, Steve Nash... He's quietly coached this team. I felt like I, I don't. I feel like he's kind of just sat back a little bit. He's he's taken some of the brunt of the criticism and things that have been thrown their way. Uh, I think that they've also kind of caught a break. You know, I, I think that the focus hasn't really been on the Nets because they haven't been as chaotic. Besides the fact that their guys just haven't been playing, and now they've put it all together and they're they're just. They look unstoppable on the east on the on the east in the on the eastern side of the bracket. The Sixers getting and be back could change things. The Hawks are playing out of their mind right now, so I don't know what's going to happen there. Could we have foreseen a Hawks Nets Eastern Conference Final? I don't think so. Uh, and then what happens with the Clippers and Jazz? Because that's going to be a big series coming up as well. Yeah, I mean, you you were bullish on the Clippers. Uh... I mean, I, I can't stand the Jazz. The, 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 that that is a, a very you, you want to talk about annoying fan bases. I mean that that one was. I mean they they have the worst reputation in the NBA. I mean that goes all the way back to the '90s. So I'm Which always is a little stunning, right? It's got to be stunning. I mean, John, St- you think Jazz? You think John Stockton with the short shorts, Carl Malone, the mailman, the whole thing? Hey, here we go, rah rah. Mark Eaton just passed away, you know, uh, rest in peace. But just like you think that they're like the, the good-hearted, uh, feel-good Utah Jazz. But <laughs> there is something going on in those stands. And I've been in that arena. The, the seats are really, really close to the floor. Almost, They seem like they're almost closer uh, than they need to be in that arena. <laughs> they really yeah, do. Yeah, that's... They... they uh... They have the reputation for having the loudest mouth, the most foul language. I mean, it doesn't make sense because you just think Salt Lake City, that that's going to be a nice people place. But don't mess with the Jazz fans. I, I just, I don't know. I, I still have to just go back to the Suns as my pick. I mean, it's been surprising. You know, in the ex-Rockets trying to make a run, uh, the Hawks and Clint Capella, that didn't see that. I we, we thought the Knicks, I think, were going to take them down pretty easily, if I recall accurately. Uh, no, that, that obviously didn't happen. It It's really going to boil down to if the Nets can keep it going without Harden. You know, can Kevin Durant, the Slim Reaper, just throwing those daggers? You know, Kyrie's not chasing any flat earth theories. I mean, he's 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 balling out. I mean... It's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting how it goes down. But Suns, Nets, Nets win it. I might be right after all, but who knows? You might be right. Suns, Nets. That's your call. Nets winning it all. Let's wrap up this episode. One final thing to touch on. We're gonna to touch on some NFL news. The Tennessee Titans now the most possibly explosive offense 
in the AFC. Uh, the Chiefs might have a few words about that. As a Chiefs fan, I feel like I should take myself out of this conversation, but I can't because this is a two-person show. Julio Jones, for a second rounder, you've used the word fleece before, but second rounder for Julio? Anytime that you can get a future Hall of Famer for a second rounder that's got plenty of juice left in the tank, you make that move. I mean, I wouldn't say that I think Dimitrov's still the, the, the GM for, for the Hawks. I mean, he, he's not a fool the by Falcons. any means. The, Fal- the Falcons. I mean, yeah, the Falcons. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, he's not the GM. I mean, this this trade, you, you're talking about, you got A.J. Brown and Henry. It's going to be stupid because when they get in the goal line, how are you going to stop any of this? They're either going to throw the bomb, they're going to throw the fade, or they're just going to run you over. They're going to be the Chiefs, Chiefs, Titans definitely are going to have two of the top three offenses in the league. But where, but where, the, where does it lead the Falcons? I mean, they're, they're going to be forgotten. They still haven't recovered from 28 to three, in my opinion. I think they're still reeling from that. You got an aging quarterback now, Matt Ryan, still a serviceable quarterback. You take away his number one wide receiver. You've brought in some talent. You just went and drafted a tight end. What's he going to do? Is he going to go split out wide now? You know, are you going to put him at at at, at at the wide out and try and see if he can develop into a, just a large receiver? Where where are they going? What do they do? Are they going to surprise us at all? Uh, you know, do they have enough? Who's there? Because their number one becomes who? Calvin Ridley. He becomes their probably the number one, right? Yeah, the Falcons, they're stuck in purgatory. They're not going anywhere. They had to shed Julio just to sign their draft picks. I mean, this was a move of necessity. So their salary cap situation is completely screwed up, and they they have to fix it. You have an aging quarterback that's making a lot of money. You have some aging veterans. You got to somehow try to offload those guys to recoup draft capital. I mean, it's... It's like the situation – you don't want to be in a situation that the Texans are in where you have an old roster and you have no draft picks. And the Falcons were trending that way, and, and they made a move. They made a move to remedy the situation. And I don't know, maybe they could have got some more compensation, but maybe not. But they couldn't sign their draft picks, so they had to do something, and they did. But you have to win in that process too. You can't just, you can't just load up on draft picks and hope for the best. You have, a, you have an aging nucleus of your roster. You have decisions to make. You have to have some direction at some point. You have to be going somewhere. That might be for the next regime. I just, in that division, what they're facing, it's going to be a long road. I, I This whole 17-game schedule screws me up a little bit, so they're going to win maybe seven or eight games. I mean, I haven't looked at it closely at all, but. I mean, how many games is Tampa going to win that division by now? Yeah, it, uh, I mean Tampa. That's like I said. They're they're, they're going to be in the Super Bowl. I mean, well, because the Saints because the Saints don't have a quarterback yet, right? Not one of note. <laughs> I mean, Carolina Carolina's gone to Sam Darnold. Try that experiment. They might be a little bit of a sneaky team. Matt Rule might get them playing, and then the Falcons are a mess. It, it seems like Tampa just coasts. Probably lose a couple of the first early games, and then just absolutely start rolling people. 